uh, last week we ended on uh, this note. We said that the Spirit's presence in us is established, but His presence does not automatically ensure that we are uh, quickened or we have a fervent, filled up, saturated Spirit life. That's what we ended on. We said that the Spirit's presence in us is established. That's a given. We know that. That He's resident in our spirit. But the Holy Spirit's presence in us does not automatically ensure a quickened, fervent, uh, filled life. And so what we want to do is examine why the Bible says stuff like fan into flames or stir up or be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why the Bible talks about that. And so we'll do part one today. These are just some of the things that we can look at. As to how do we go about living a life that, as the Bible says, is fanned into flame or stirred up or is fervent or quickened. How is it possible for a Christian who has the Spirit of God living in him to begin to live that kind of a life? So we look, we're going to look at some of the ways we can do that. And so just turn to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. A lot of Bible turning today. If you need a Bible, just ask somebody who looks like they've been here for a while. Uh, what do they look like? Usually happy. So, <laughs> just check with them. <laughs> Usually happy. <laughs> and they'll provide you a Bible. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18 Ephesians 5.18 Uh, let's start at verse 15, Ephesians 5.15 onwards. Here goes. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, taking the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it says in verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Guys, one of the first things you need to note about Ephesians 5.18 is it's not being spoken to individuals. It's being spoken to the body. It's being spoken to believers in relationship with each other. Even the way we read the Bible, guys, needs to change a little. In the sense, yes, you're supposed to take um, what is written uh, for individual development. But understand the context that the Bible, often when it says things, is saying it to a whole body where believer, believers are in relationship. And it's saying to the believers, listen guys, be filled with the Spirit. So it's saying to Acts 29, guys... This is a command of the Lord, that be filled with the Spirit. But your question should be, but didn't you, uh, oh God, give us the Spirit right off the bat when we got born again? We've been talking about that over the last two weeks. And this is another happy tension that we talked about last week. On one hand, you have the full person of the Holy Spirit resident on you, in you. And on the other hand, God is saying, be filled with the Spirit. And He's saying it to a body. Why am I emphasizing that? Because most things of the Spirit happen in the context of the body. Yes, He is resident in you. But how did He first come on the earth? He came upon a people who were gathered in a room in obedience in one accord. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 and 4. And they, and they were all in one accord in one place, verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius' house. They were together in the house. Acts 10.44, the Spirit of God fell upon them. It always happens in the context of a people. Why? Because what's one of the main things... Let me ask you this question, just to check whether you remember your notes. What is the main objective of salvation? Salvation. You have been given honorary uh, superior membership at Acts 29, just for that for a day. <laughs> Good for you, Mariam. The reason one is saved is so that... The Spirit of God may create a people called by the name of God who can now begin to represent God accurately here on earth and that we may live the life of the future in the 
present. We talked about the Obama-Romney thing last time. Pick up the CD if you don't remember. But the point being, guys, the Spirit of God is so into creating a community of people who can be called by God's name and who can represent God accurately. This is deep in the heart of the Spirit. And I, I know I've repeated it for the last four years, but that's how we learn. That the Spirit of God is intensely uh, desirous of forging a people who are called by God's name and who display the character of God in their lives so that others can say, hmm, so here is a group, bunch of guys who operate by a different set of values. Not here is an individual, here is a bunch of guys who operate by a different value. So when when the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, again it's in the context of the body. And one of the first things we need to understand is that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, as in if you want to be saturated uh, or uh, topped up, if you want to be topped up on a regular basis in the person of the Spirit of God, it happens best in the context of a people, not as solo individuals. Why? Because Isaiah 65.8, and we talked about this many moons ago. Isaiah 65.8 says, the juice is in the cluster. The juice is in the cluster. Isaiah 65.8 says that. Because the juice is in the cluster, do not destroy the wine. You, you don't make grape juice out of one grape. I mean, you can, but doesn't go very far. Yeah. This <laughs> juice is in the cluster. And it's the same principle, guys. The filling of the Spirit is in the context of the cluster because of many individual grapes now being formed into one body called the body of Christ. So, when, 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 when the Spirit of God works with the people now, it's Christ unlimited in session. I love that phrase. Christ unlimited in session. Guys, how many gifts can I have that are really active on a regular basis? How many different ways of uh, Christ's functioning can one person have? It's limited. But what if 26 to 30 people gather and now Christ is manifested through different people, now you have juice in the cluster. Because one grape even though he may be a fat, good-looking grape, can only squeeze so much juice. We had some massive grapes at Bob Cran's house yesterday, by the way. They were the size of potatoes. Well, small potatoes. And so, just remember, guys, that the juice is in the cluster, and one person cannot contain all of Christ. If one person contained all of Christ, you need to bow down before that one person, because he is Christ. But when different people are together, now the Spirit of God begins to manifest because it's Christ unlimited in session. Christ unlimited in session. But then one can represent the body, right? Sorry, say that again, Marcus. One person from that body can represent Yeah. Knowing that he's connected. Yeah. Knowing that he's connected. So, when my hand shakes Jason's hand, my hand not for a second thinks that I'm a hand shaking another hand. No. I'm Jacob shaking Jason's hand. Because the hand is so connected to the rest of the body that he does, the hand never sees its identity as separate from the rest of Jacob. That is the important part. The nose is never breathing for its own. It's breathing for a heck of a lot of other things that are involved in my respiratory system. So everything then becomes connected. Uh, uh, guys, like I said last week, you are getting it. And I, I am so happy about that. Not you are getting it, you've gotten it and you're adding to it. Um, so, guys, uh, if you want to be topped up or filled with the Spirit on a regular basis, understand the importance of being in a body in one accord. And um, become Hebron. I don't know if you remember Hebron. That was from 2009. Hebron is a oneness. Hebron is a oneness of intimate participation. Hebron is a oneness of intimate participation where individuals recognize each other as divinely placed. So, the whole concept of Hebron is 
a, a oneness, not not fake kumbaya unity, but oneness as in understanding that we draw from one common source and recognizing each other. So recognizing Armin, recognizing Maximo, and recognizing them how? Recognizing them as divinely placed in this body. None of you, and Pastor Mike said this when he came here, none of you turned up here to become part of this house by accident. Because this is a hard house to stay in by accident. <laughs> you were divinely placed. And if you were divinely placed, my God, do I need to recognize you. Not recognize you as, oh, Diana, you're back again. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, recognize you as in, okay, so what graces, what gifts, what, how, does, how, how is she today? That kind of recognition. And you do that well too. And when we create a place like that, it becomes an environment that God can laugh, delight and dance in. It becomes an environment in which, which God laughs, delights and dances. Hey, nothing, nothing catches him, attracts his heart as much as a people who have become one. How do we know that? Because Jesus in John 17, 21 is praying to his father and he says to his father, Oh God, father, you and I are one. And now, can you make this people one, so that just as you and I are one, they may be one with each other and with us. He, he delights and dances in an environment where that kind of oneness is created. So, if you want not to be filled by the Spirit, and if you just want him to be resident, but you don't want to be fervent in the spirit, you just want uh, to get by, then please continue to be individualistic, independent, and uh, continue to cultivate an arm's length affiliation with the body. So, this is, as, as my friend uh, Ryan would put this, this is negative psychology. So, he's doing his degree in psychology. So, if you don't want to be filled with the spirit, and if you want to have a so-so existence, here's how you do it. Be individualistic, be independent, have an arm's length affiliation with the body. And you will have then the ability to be an anesthetized limb and yet you can still be the part of the body. So just imagine that, eh? if my finger was under anesthesia right now, it's still part of the body but it experiences nothing that the body is going through. Many of us can render ourselves as anesthetized parts of the body when we choose to be individualistic, independent, and want to have an arm's length aff affiliation with the body. Can't do that. Full of the Spirit as an individual may be, the fervent expression of the life of the Spirit is not possible till you're vitally connected to a body. So Jacob, what does that look like? Check your own family. Don't you have people in your family, sometimes even sons and daughters and definitely cousins, uncles and aunts, they turn up for Christmas parties and you wish they didn't come. Because they sit there completely disconnected from the family. They Are, are they blood relatives? Yes. Can they give you a kidney? Yes. But would you want their kidney? No. <laughs> because this. Because there's so much a part of the family and yet they are not. So that's what I mean by being at arm's length affiliation with the body. So you can be full of the Spirit of God because you're born again and yet not have the fervent life of the Spirit because you're disconnected with the body. So Jacob, why is this so? Why? Because the priceless oil of the Holy Spirit flows down from the head to the, gar to the beard to the garments and the rest of the body. Where's that from? Psalm 133. 3. Psalm 133. Verse 2, yeah. Oh, I thought one. Yeah. Psalm 133. And here's what it says. It says, How blessed are brothers and sisters who dwell together in unity, for they are like uh, and then it goes on to talk about the oil that flows from the head down to the beard, down to the garments, down to the body. The point being, why is it important for us to understand 
this one accordness for the spirit of God to become fervent in your individual lives because that is the way God has designed the body where the oil flows from the head as in Christ himself to the rest of his body which is the church you are a part of the body you are not a complete microcosm in yourself and secondly it talks about this in Ephesians 2.22 Ephesians 2.22 says we are being built together to become a habitation in which God dwells hear that huh? we are being built together to become a habitation in which God dwells we are being built together we are being built together to become a habitation in which God dwells people being put together to become a habitation in which God dwells where does he dwell? in our people that have been put together to form a habitation or a dwelling place in which he can be resident so it's natural then for it is natural then for the spirit of God to be most fervently expressed in the context of a body where does a bridegroom reveal himself who does a bridegroom reveal himself to to the bride be connected with the bride of Christ because you can sit at home but I assure you Christ will not be revealed to you the way he is revealed in the context of the body because he reveals himself fully to the bride and you are not the bride you are part of the bride any questions before we move on what are we talking about right now we are talking about how we can be fervent or filled with the spirit connect to the body of Christ because that has become the habitation of the dwelling of the spirit and therein will you be filled and find yourself fervent the unity in body is um, this whole idea of one recognizing each other two uh, valuing each other three understanding that you cannot survive on your own self see uh, as a pastor and especially as a guy who's pretty gifted um, <laughs> it would be very easy for me to and humble it would be very easy it'd be very easy for me to assume that I can do without you and there have been large periods of times in my life where I think, where I've, I have thought that I could do without anybody. So you just did your sermons in the mirror? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't do the sermons in the mirror, but I, I, I didn't think I needed a church to be part of. I was a good teacher, a good preacher. I can uh, pray and a few healings will happen. I can be invited without being part of anything. And years of my life have been spent like that. My dreams were to do crusades and stuff like that on my own. But at some point, thank God, at some point it changed and I understood that my significance comes only because I'm a part of this amazing body called Acts 29. Everything. Hey, what is the evidence of um, the grace and gifts in me? You. What is the evidence of anything? Everything in my life is so deeply connected to you. You have no idea, guys. Everything in my life is so deeply connected to you. Where am I, where am I a son first in this house? Where am I a servant first in this house? Where am I uh, the grace gift that I operate in in this house? Where am I a father in this house? Where am I a part of a body in this house? Where do I get my immunity and um, authority from when I go out? From this house because I belong to a body. Where am I a part of the bride of Christ in this house? Where does my significance come from? This house. Where do I have sons in this house? Where did I f find my father in context? This house. Where do I return to? This house. Which vineyard provides me? This vineyard. Where do I sow? This house. Where do I come and report things? This house. Who do I yearn for with great desire? You. Why am I under pressure about a place not appearing yet? Because... 
because I, 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 I don't carry on in my back, but I sure want the best for us. Everything in my life is connected to the body that I belong to. And as you go, so I go. As I go, so you go. Amazing, eh? This is a shift, guys, which took time. That sounded hollow. <laughs> yes, I know, Sue, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> 2013 will go well for you, sister. The second, uh, guys, um, I-, I was just telling you how I'm involved in this house. Try to cultivate the same way of thinking. Try to cultivate the same way of thinking. Who am I submitted to? This house. Can you believe that? Who am I submitted to? I'm not submitted to anybody else. I'm not even submitted to Eddie first. I'm submitted to this house first. Why? Because this is the father's house of which I'm a part. Who who on in the world has the right to discipline me? This house. And we've set up systems so that if I am in error, this house has the ability to approach me and correct me. And if I don't listen, it has the ability to go to others to come and correct me. Who am I submitted to in all the world? This house. Who can I be disciplined by? This house. Amazing. Uh-huh. Glory to God, man. Glory to God. Awesome. Awesome. Reflecting his character. Another way we can be filled with the Holy Spirit is uh, from Acts chapter 2. Notice what they did after they got baptized and became believers. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 says uh, verse 42. Uh, Let's start at verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then look how they went about doing things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling the possessions and goods they gave to anyone as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Guys, there's a fourfold pattern for filling. And what I mean by that is once you uh, have become a believer, um, keep these four things center. Apostolic teaching or the doctrine in this church. Fellowship. Or participation, as we just mentioned. The breaking of bread. And for those of you who have lost that practice, start again. We talked about that. I mean, when was the last time you broke bread at a restaurant or in an aeroplane or uh, in your house or with your children? When was the last time? These are practices that we begin to ignore after a season. Heidi... Um, uh, day before yesterday or three days ago when she went to visit Robert in hospital in Germany uh, one of the things she decided to do was go and uh, break bread with her wife and husband and just before she entered the room the doctor came and uh, uh, revived him out of his sleep he was sleeping and so he was able to partake in it and the breaking of bread is a mechanism of healing as we've spoken and taught here before the point being guys these are four things that the church was instructed in and what happened was joy happened growth happened favor happened and uh, the spirit of God created a culture in which neither Elimas the sorcerer nor Ananias and Sapphira could thrive we create a culture of the spirit in which things that are not of the spirit find it very hard to thrive One of the things I always tell Eric is build a house where people are 
beginning to understand the body and beginning to connect with each other and it'll be very hard for wolves and sheep's clothing to come in you won't have to worry about who's a wolf because the sheep know each other so well that they can smell a wolf a distance away so creating a culture of the spirit through one apostle's doctrine or the the apostle the apostle's doctrine is basically the doctrine that is taught fellowship as in we already talked about uh, f- mm, participation in each other's lives breaking a bread renew it guys renew it and don't do it in hidden enclaves do it publicly go to a restaurant and order bread and grape juice and let people see how you are a people who keep proclaiming the death and the life of Christ do it at your home with your children so that your children uh, have uh, n- no sense of a mystified meal that you have in church demystify it completely tell them what it is about practice it between husband and wife at your home practice it sometimes alone if you have a need especially a need for healing practice it it's not a pastoral privilege nor is it gender based and the fourth one is prayer which we've talked about but just keep these four distinctives together eh hunger and practice it hunger and practice it because you will find that it will result in signs and wonders it will result in joy it will result in favor it will result in growth and it will result in sufficient fear in your friends a good kind of fear practice it apostolic doctrine how do you practice apostolic doctrine um do what an osman sometimes does writes the notes takes them home prints them out reads them over and over again practices them reads it again practices them or do what jacob does matt was asking me yesterday in the car when i stepped into when he stepped into the car and i started the car he started hearing me through the speakers so he started laughing and saying oh so you listen to yourself in your car do you and yes i do why because i got to learn what i teach and a half of what i teach is not in my notes so i got to learn so just remember that guys apostolic doctrine fellowship breaking a bread so is breaking a bread magical no it's a recounting of the benefits of his death a recounting of the benefits of his death that's what you do every time you break bread you're saying i remember what you did for me jesus Yeah. And fourthly prayer. Moving on. The next thing that will cause the fervency of the Holy Spirit in you and this is important to us guys is you can be filled through worship. Filled through worship. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. You know do, do you know that in Colossians 3:16 and Ephesians 5:18 what Paul is saying is listen teach admonish and speak to one another in all wisdom with psalms hymns and spiritual songs i didn't know that man turn to colossians 3:16 <coughs> colossians 3:16 let the word of christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to god worship is even used not just as a method of singing to god but to actually teach and to correct singing with gratitude in your heart remember gratitude gratitude in your heart is good but the bible very clearly says sing let me repeat it songs are a method of great wisdom from god used to correct to worship and to teach that's why some of the songs that we write have great teaching value why do you think you have a generation that wants to escape to heaven every day why because all their songs are about we have a mansion in heaven in the sweet by and by and one day we will disappear in the sky 
And so, if you sing that for 40 years, that becomes your theology. So just remember that. Songs are used to teach. And then it says, sing with gratitude in your heart, sing. One of the places where there's a fervency of the Spirit that takes over your heart is sheerly through worship. Sheerly through worship. Was there singing and worship before the earth was created? Yes. The angelic hosts engaged in that. Was there singing and worship in uh, the book of Exodus when Israel was led through out of Egypt? Yes. Miriam's song is proof for that. Was there singing in the tabernacle that David constructed? Yes. Is that tabernacle being restored now? Acts 15 says yes. Was there singing in the time of Jesus? Yes. We hear about that in the Mount of Olives. Was there singing in the New Testament church? Hey, Paul actually writes songs in some of his letters. Is there singing in the book of Revelation? Absolutely. Is the book of Revelation a picture of the church today? Yes. So should there be singing with gratitude and worship in the church? Yes. Does singing involve opening our mouths? Hmm. <laughs> Has God given everyone brilliant voices? No. Does that mean they don't sing? No. Make a joyful noise. You have no idea of the joyful noises that were coming out of people at caroling yesterday. <laughs> and it used to get worse when we attempted to harmonize. But it was so much fun. yeah. And, and I love what it says in Ephesians 5.17. It says, Do not be a fool or unwise, but understand the will of God. Don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking, singing, and submitting. And don't be a fool in this. Don't be unwise in this. Is that settled now, guys? We don't need to go over that again, right? May you make an attempt... Wherever we are low in any of these, maybe make an attempt to pull it up. The next one. Thirst-inducing outflow. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Acts chapter 4. Who made the coffee today? Sue, so you did it? Yeah. Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse uh, 24 and then 29 to 31. Acts chapter 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And look at verse 29 to 31. Now Lord, this is the, what they prayed. Eh? Now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, refilling, when you ask God to fill you again, uh, the question you need to ask is, are you already doing what you need to exhaust what you have? Stagnation inhibits filling. While outflow induces thirst. Stagnation inhibits filling. While outflow induces thirst. I'll say that again. Stagnation inhibits thirst or filling. While an outflow is absolutely necessary to induce thirst. So here are these guys praying that, Oh God, here's what we want of you. We want you to give us bold preaching. Why were they praying that? Because they had been boldly preaching and were being threatened. And then they asked, Oh God, may healings happen. But healings were already happening and now they were being threatened because of that. Miraculous signs and wonders. Stretch out your hand to do miraculous signs and wonders. But it was already happening. The point being, guys, if I stagnate in terms of what the Spirit of God wants to do through me, then... I am not able to induce thirst to ask for more in a sense of speaking. John 7, 37 and 38. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, Out of you shall flow rivers of living water. Well then let it flow a little. He didn't say, And in you shall be an ocean of living water. 
which would have sounded as uh, holy too. I mean, it would have sounded tremendously popular. In thy, in thy belly lieth an ocean of living water. No, he said, out of thy belly shall flow rivers of living water. There's an outflow. And an outflow induces thirst. So we can't all be Billy Grahams and all the other names that go around doing stuff. True. But where do you start? Give me, give me some place where some water is leaking. At your work, in your family, at home, in Kenya, in Burnaby, somewhere where there's an outflow. Guys, an outflow will make you want more, guys, want more. And until I take that step, I'll never be able to come to a place where I can induce thirst. Many times, I want more to happen to, through my life, but I'm scared to take that extra step to begin. Really, there are so many things I want to happen through my life. And many of those things, I, wanna, I, I want an assurance that it will happen before I will step out. So as long as I don't step out in that area, I cannot induce thirst. I'm sufficiently afraid. Example, um, there are so many times where I go to a place and I see cripples and I see this and that and the other. And I just want the book of Acts to come alive through my life and people to be restored. I want God to be shown off. I don't mind getting a little bit of the glory too. But I want God to be shown off. But in the process, I realize that when I approach them, I skirt around it, man. I have progressive prayers like, may you get better in six months. Or just avoid the whole thing. Why? Because I don't want to look like a fool, but there is no outflow without looking foolish, guys. So let me add the whole equation together. Stagnation inhibits thirst. Outflow induces thirst. But it is impossible to be someone who operates in outflow without being foolish. These are the things that are not in my notes. It is impossible to be someone who has an outflow through him unless you choose to be foolish. Peter was foolish. In the middle of a stormy lake, he steps out of the boat. I mean, that's the height of foolishness. On one simple word, come. It is, but it, it is, but in certain things, God has already spoken. You will do greater works in this. My cry is, Father, how come not? Which is why we came up with that whole theme of showtime for 2013. That we will have a greater expectancy for signs and manifestations. We will hear the voice of God and we will show His nature. But I got to be foolish. Foolishness helps outflow happen. Guys, go home and, and, and think of this, eh? Where, where am I holding back? Where am I holding back? Why am I so afraid? When will I begin to take a step? No, not to stand on a soapbox and preach on number three road. You, you, it's too busy there. You might get knocked out. But um, do things that are within your present capacity and keep increasing it. But a step at a time. Step at a time. Today I'm going to be doing something at the end of this uh, afternoon, for which for me will be a step out of uh, my, my normal ways of functioning. Now you're all thinking, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Stew in it. <laughs> the next thing you want to do, if you want the fervency or the filling of the Spirit in you, is very simple. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is, do not vex him. Do not, do not, do not cause him. Uh, the grieve is not that he gets sad because, like I said, we've painted the Holy Spirit to be so super sensitive. It's like one of those uh, plants that you touch and the leaves shrivel up. The Holy Spirit is not like that. Like I said last week, or I don't know where I oh I said it in Vernon. He's someone who is. Irrepre irrepre irrepressibly full of laughter and who's raring for a fight. 
Now that is his nature. That's not someone who, if you touch him, shrivels up. But when we say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, what we mean is, one, don't, don't provoke or agitate him. And how do we provoke or agitating him? By testing him. Or what do we mean by testing him? It means to attempt to uh, prove. Attempt to prove. Uh, what that means is, okay, show me you really love me. Give me this if you really love me. If you really love me, you would do this for me, oh God. You don't really love me. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Attempting to force God to prove himself over and over and over and over again. Oh, if God was really good, he would have done this for me. Oh, if God says he's my father, then how come he has not provided for the last two months? And it goes on and on, and it agitates and provokes God. It tempts God. And Israel did this in the desert. In the end, God said, I'm exasperated with you guys. Ten times you've provoked me in the desert. You've tempted, tempted me. You've assayed my character. You've sieved me to see if I'm really God. And ten times I obliged. But stop it now. That grieves the Spirit of God. The second thing that grieves the Spirit, and that's in, um, that's in uh, Psalm 78, verse 17 and 18. The second way we grieve the Spirit of God is by resisting Him. By resisting Him. Resisting Him is uh, when you know He's saying something, to choose not to. To just keep resisting, saying, no, not right now, other important things, not right now, not right now, won't work out, sorry, not right now, resisting him. In Acts 7.51, Acts 7.51, um, Stephen is speaking to the Israel, to the Pharisees and other Israelites, and he says to them, you guys are stiff-necked like your forefathers, and you've continuously resisted God. Meaning every time he tries to make an attempt to bring it, you say, not now, uh, no, 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 not ready to accept, just <laughs> resistance. And the last one, and this is almost uh, an increase in intensity, the last one is rebellion. Rebellion is not just resistance, rebellion is defiant disobedience. That grieves the spirit. And I've done all three at different points in my life. Rebellion is not resistance, rebellion is defiant disobedience. And you find that in Isaiah 63.10 where it very clearly says that the Holy Spirit was resisted by the Israelites. Isaiah 63.10 These three are the things that grieve the Spirit, guys. And you can understand why you as a father would be grieved along the same lines if your child did this. Any questions? Since Diana has left the room, I can ask. <laughs> Diana must be quite famous in many different parts of the world, wherever they listen to our CDs, because she gets a mention once every three or four weeks. <laughs> Next one. Next one, guys, is a father-focused view. And where I'm going with this is going to surprise you a little. See, and we are talking about the fervency of the Spirit in us. And, and I don't think you'll hear this in too many places, that this can bring about the fervency of the Spirit. On one hand, guys, there is only one Father that Jesus made visible. No man can be a Father. Let me say that again. On one hand, there is only one Father, Jesus made him visible, and no man can be a Father. But what God does here on earth is that He substitutes His fatherhood. He substitutes His fatherhood. Let me say that again. Starting again, because it's important to understand this. I'm glad you're listening, Jason. Uh, there is only one Father, and that is the Father that Jesus made visible, the Heavenly Father. And no man can be a father in terms of who He is. But one of the things God does on the earth is He substitutes. He says, represent me. Or, in other words, God comes into a family 
through a representative figure who substitutes for him. God comes into a family through a representative figure who substitutes for him. That's how he creates households on the face of the earth. God comes into a family through the representative figure who substitutes for him. And that's how he creates households on earth. Guys, just think of this. Think of this for a second. Just so you know that this applies all across the board. You see that with Jesus. Jesus was the only begotten son of the father. He was born of a virgin without any sexual agency of a man. He was born of a virgin who was pregnant without the agency of a man. Yet, he was placed in the care of a substitute father in Joseph. And because of that, he drew his family line from Judah. Do you see it, guys? There is only one father that Jesus made evident to us. No one can replace him. No one can take his place. But God works here on earth through this principle of substitution where he says, go represent me. So, God enters families through this principle of representation where he substitutes himself and creates households. And this is what he did with Jesus. Even with Jesus, the begotten son of the father, who was born through a virgin, who became pregnant without the agency of a man, was still placed in the care of a substitute father whose name was Joseph, so that Jesus could now draw his lineage from a tribe or a family called Judah, which was important because prophecy had to come to pass. The Levites were being replaced by the tribe of Judah. The priesthood had changed. As so now, it's the same thing guys. And this is so vital for fervency in the spirit. I'll talk about that some more before we move on to the last one. There's no ownership in fathers and sons in a household. No? There's only stewardship. By the way, your children are stewards. Just so you know, <laughs> you are stewards over your children too. Ryan has been lent to Marcus and Lorian. He was put in their charge to be stewarded over. Josh and Becca have been given Eli so that they can steward him through these times and brought to a place. So you're stewards over your children. In a house too, there's no ownership, there's only stewardship because all sons belong to the Heavenly Father. Eddie doesn't own me. Anyone in this house who says that, Jacob, I am your son, I don't owe you, own you. All I can do is convey the grace, the love, the correction and the will of the Father to you. All I can do is convey the grace, the will, the correction and the love of the Father to you. So, Jacob, why are you bringing up fathering in terms of fervency of the Holy Spirit? Simple guys, fathering is A, a means of reconstituting or repositioning you spiritually. it's a means of expanding your capacity three it's a means of stirring up things stirring up things of the spirit in you Fathering is a means towards one, reconstituting and positioning you spiritually. Second, it's a means of expanding your capacity. Third, it's a means of stirring up things in the spirit in you. You read about this in 1 Corinthians 4, 15-17 when Paul talks to his son Timothy and he says, you may have many guardians, you may have 10,000 guardians but you only have 
you you do not have many fathers. And then in Second uh, Tim Second um, Timothy one six, he says to Timothy, "Remember um, how I." St- laid hands on you and stirred up the things of the Spirit in you. 2 Timothy 1.6 Guys, this radically happened to me when Eddie came into life, my life. This has radically happened to some of you. I mean, one guy I can call right now and ask him to speak would be Jason. It's radically transformed his life. It's completely reconstituted and repositioned him spiritually. You've heard him talk about it. It's expanded his capacity and it's stirred up things of the Spirit in him. And I can say the same for many others in this room. <laughs> this is not a recruitment thingy, man. I, uh, I'm not out collecting sons, you know that. But the point being, guys, this is such a, such a priceless way of stirring up such fervency in you that it's... That it's Almost irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. Some of you have already... Um, I, I want to put it this way, guys. You don't have to receive me as your father, but you need to see that Acts 29 is a family, and I'm the father of the family, even if I'm not your father. Let me read that again. Because not for a second do I assume that everybody sitting here has um, gotten the hang of fathers and sons. But I want to put it this way. You don't have to receive me as your spiritual father. But you need to see that we are a family and I am the father of this family, even if I'm not your father. (laughs) Because if you don't even see that, you won't benefit from this house at all. (laughs) Begin there. And move on from there. Some of you have already come to that place. Some of you will come to that place. Where you will see me both as the father of this family and your spiritual father. And when you do that, the Spirit of God will reconstitute you and ready you. Because in Luke one seventeen it says, The hearts of the Father shall turn towards the sons, and the hearts of the sons shall turn towards the Father. Disobedience, skepticism, and evil will be disbanded, and instead the Spirit of God will prepare and ready your people for the Lord Himself, and the curse shall be banned. Malachi 4, 6 and 7, and Luke one seventeen and 18. And even as sons, guys, you can be affiliated or you can be connected. One who knows how to access the father in a man or a woman can begin to soar on eagle's wings. One who knows how to access the father in either a man or a woman can begin to soar on eagle's wings. Why do I say man or woman? Because the heart of the father and the qualities and the attributes of the father are genderless. So if I were a woman and I was still the father of this house in some convoluted fashion, then it would still be possible to access the father in a man or a woman and soar on the wings of an eagle while others are still walking, depending on how you connect or whether you are affiliated. Very simple, guys. You know, yesterday I was, I I had the privilege of spending time talking to Ryan on the way back. And the more I spoke to him, the more I realized, one, his character as a fine young man, and two, it was a reflection on his parenting too. Applied both ways. Fathering reconstitutes or repositions you. Fathering expands your capacity, makes the horizon much broader. And fathering stirs up the things of the Spirit in you. And if you're already a son in this house, don't stay affiliated. Stay connected. And you will soar on the wings of an eagle. Not because of the man Jacob, but because of the grace of a father in this man that you can access. Just as I have accessed Eddie, and Eddie is a man with faults and flaws. But I can access the grace in him. And it has caused me to soar on the wings of an eagle. On the wings of the eagle as in the Spirit of God. It has cost me to be completely reconstituted a position spiritually. And those of you who knew me before know that for true. It has expanded my capacity and it keeps expanding. I'm turning 40 this year and it still goes on. And it stirs up the things of the Spirit in me continuously. The last point. Any questions guys on that before we move on? Any questions on that? 
Haven't you been taught that you shouldn't ask men their age? <laughs> Especially when they're over 40. I'll tell you I'll tell you a story after we are done because I don't want it to be on tape. The last one for uh, and this is part one next time we can do, uh, talk about some other things. The last one is laying on of hands uh, where the fervency or the filling of the Holy Spirit happens through the laying on of hands. Guys, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues and prophecy is seen with the laying on of hands in Acts 8, 14 to 17. Turn to Acts 8. Acts 8. Acts 8, 14 to 17. Here's what it says. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted uh, Ryan, uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Let's look at another one. Acts um, 19, 4-6. Acts 19, 4-6. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Paul said, verse, verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, uh, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So on one hand, you see that sometimes the gifts and the filling of the Holy Spirit is seen through the laying on of hands. But then again, if you go to Acts 10.44... Acts 10.44 Acts 10.44 You see that it's not always so. Acts 10.44 And it says in Acts 10.44 While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on them. All who heard them came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So in Acts 10, 44 to 46, we see that the laying on the, of hands was not necessary, but simply through the preaching that Peter was doing, the Spirit of God fell upon them. What I'm trying to say is, yes, there is a place for the laying on of hands as a means of bestowing the gift of the Spirit. When it's done in agreement with God's Word. It's not a magical thing. Because there was a guy who thought it was magical. Acts chapter 8. Verse 41, there was this guy called Simon Magus or Simon the Sorcerer. And he sees Peter going around laying hands on people and they get filled of the Holy Spirit. So he goes and says, here, uh, how about a hundred dollars? Can I have that gift too? Because he thought it was magical because he was a sorcerer to begin with. So on one hand, there is a bestowing of the gifts of the Spirit or the person of the Spirit into a person's life through the laying on of hands. And yet it's not always the case. It's not a formula. And finally, go to 2 Timothy 1.6. 2 Timothy 1.6 For those of you who don't know where that is, it's towards the end of the Bible and it's after Thessalonians. 2 Timothy 1.6 After 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.6 And here's what it says. It says there that for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now let's just look at 1 Timothy 4.14 to get a better idea of what he was talking about. 1 Timothy 4.14 1 Timothy 4.14 and here's what it says. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So here we see that certain grace gifts, and what do we mean by grace gifts? Apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. And the gifts of the Spirit are imparted 
through a prophetic word and sealed with the laying on of hands. So that happens too. So what we are going to do now is um, I'm going to ask um, Chris and um, 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 I'm not going to call Marcus and Jason. Uh, we'll do this uh, just with the piano. I'm going to ask that we sing these t- two songs and uh, feel free to leave whenever you have to leave because uh, we are kind of done. But if you want um, and if you so sense after we sing these two songs to come up and have um, hands laid on you praying for a fervency or a filling of the Spirit or whatever else the Spirit of God wants to do with you today, then feel free to come up. But otherwise we are done and we'll be meeting on the 23rd. So while we are singing, if you feel you have to leave, well, then you have to leave. But if you want to, if you sense otherwise, feel free. Anytime today, Chris.